Speakers Bank Podcast. Our voices, our views. Hello, this is Tom Robbins, your host, and welcome back to the Speakers Bank Podcast. Joining me today is Joan from the Western Region Manager for Anecto. And this is my co-host, Catherine. How are you going today? Thank you. That's good. And today's topic will be about the NDIS. Yes, that lovely word, we, that four-letter word. Um, we're talking about a range of topics, so stick to it. What is the NDIS and what does it mean for people with disabilities? Well, I think NDIS is a new way of thinking. It's a new opportunity. It's a challenge. It's a whole lot of things, really. <laughs> a lot of things. Um, it certainly is a challenge for um, I think a wide range of people, mm. for service providers. This is my first funding. I never had funding. I've only had the ah, DSC, so this is good for me. So you can go through the DHS funding, alright. So people who have been through DHS funding, it's a challenge. Um, but I think it's a wonderful opportunity. I think it's trying to change the direction of disability. Right. And put, a, put your power and control back into the people who are receiving the funding. So just to clarify for the viewers, if people are receiving DHS funding, that doesn't apply to NDIS, correct? It will be, it'll be cut off. Yes, so DHS um, give NDIS the names of the people and they transition from, right. it, from DHS funding into NDIS funding. Mm -hmm. Once you transfer to NDIS, your DHS funding stops. Yeah. Yeah. What is NDIS plan? Ah, this is a really important part of the whole transition. So we call it an anecdote initially pre-planning. We this process to get to the plan. So we do pre-planning with most of the people we support. And it, that's around thinking, what do I need? What is it that I'm really wanting to do with my life? And for some people, it's a total change. For others, it's exactly the same. But the plan, the NDIS plan, outlines the goals for the person, and then how they achieve it and then the amount of funding and that's what the NDIS plan is. But it's the bits before that that's so important. So in terms of like NDIS plan, is that sort of like telling people what they need in their general lifestyle? What they what supports they currently need? And like it that? outlines what the person said they want. Okay. So the step to getting the plan is that you normally they'll work with a number of people to do the pre-planning. Then they'll meet with the planner, which is often the local area coordinator, or sometimes it's the NDIS planner. And the planner listens to what the person wants. And then they transcribe that into the plan. So it's not so much the planner telling you what you want. It's the planner listening and then writing down saying, this is what it is. This is what it yes. is, or she needs. Yeah, that, or yeah. no, this is what she says she needs. Yeah. yeah, so they don't make it up, they listen to you and say, this is what you've said you need. And that's why you need to go prepared. So you know, you really put a lot of thought into what you're wanting, and you'll know what you're wanting, mm -hmm. and you are able to say that at the plan, the plan the meeting. So what will the NDS not fund? Well, you've been through planning, haven't yeah. you? If you've got that yeah, experience. Yeah, I will share some of my experiences. So, one of the things I will, will not fund is realistic goals <coughs> that you can pay for yourself. Like, for example, they're not going to help you pay for the groceries. They're not going to help you pay for your internet or your phone. Um, so, because that's not realistic supports for your disability. That's a luxury item. Mm. So, that's one thing. And number two is that they will not um, fund your sort of like other additional needs that you can uh, pay for yourself. For example, if you want to go to a football game, if you want to go to a movie, they will not fund it uh, because it's out of your pocket. They will fund things that help, help ease the pain and pressure that your disability provides each and every day. So they'll, they'll pay for a support worker to take you that's right. to wherever you need to go if you can't go alone. That's right. But, but you see, the trick in here is they will pay for the support worker, but they will not pay for your desired item. For example, if you wanted to go to a movie, they'll pay for your support worker, but they won't pay for the movie itself. Yeah. So that's how it works. It's very tricky. 
but that's what I've been told. Hmm. Because in the past, DHS sometimes would fund for your um, football club membership. Mm. Correct. Yeah, whereas you're right. Yes, they don't do that now. But it's what you said, Catherine. They fund you if you require support to get there. Mm. That's the funding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's more in line with mainstream, isn't it, in that respect? Yeah. Yes. I feel like the DIS is a bit of mainstream in it as well. Because they'll, for the person that needs its support, they don't have to really go. If they don't need to go to this, they can do it independently, but they get the support through the NDIS. But what I like about it too is it teaches the, the person who has the special needs to budget their money, yeah. to understand that this is how much it costs. If you want to do this, this is what you're going to have to do. We'll help you, but we won't do it for you. Yes. Yeah. So it's so getting the person with special needs the empowerment that they need. Yes, because I'm in the process of moving out with two friends and with my DIS funding I will have a home help that will come and help with a bit of cleaning for me and probably help me look at my budgeting and, Very important. and all the, main, you know, just a bit of support. So that's what the NDIS will fund. But not fund for the rent. Mm -hmm. So it's it's what you said, Storm. It's about that empowerment, isn't mm -hmm. it? And you're in control of <coughs> what you um, say you want want to be funded for. That's right. Mm -hmm. But the change is though that some of that used to be funded under DHS under mm -hmm. the old funding schemes, and so that, I guess that's the challenge from the challenge. Saying, no, come on, I can do this because that's just like my siblings. And it's, but it's, yeah. I need extra support, so I get the support for that. It's going to be hard for you, Jane, because you'd be like, you've been so used to this old system. Like, people don't understand how difficult it is for an organisation like yourself to be you're so used to doing it one way, and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. you've got to do it another way, yeah. and then you've got to some, somehow tell them nicely and gently that no, we don't do that anymore. We don't, we don't pay for your factory items. I think that is one of the, you really hit the nail on the head there, because most, a lot of workers want to do everything, you know, to support a person, but we're all having to learn to step back and say, no, we don't do this, but we can do this. So we're actually setting parameters and clearer boundaries around what we can do and can't do. But that's been really difficult for staff. Very difficult. Yeah, yeah very difficult indeed. What are the steps in getting my NDIS plan? So, I'm not too sure what steps you went for, through, but from my perspective of where I am, a lot of, we already supported a lot of people who were receiving DHS funding, mm -hmm. so they just transitioned through. DHS, as I said earlier, mm -hmm. give the names, and the, so there was a rollout of, you know, for everyone. So it was fairly simple. For people who haven't had DHS funding, I oh. think it's quite difficult. Maybe, you can talk yes, about it, well, yes. I, I think you yeah. can both talk about that yes. more clearly. Um, so my funding experience was pretty simple, uh, strange but simple. So what happened was when I turned 18, I left the Royal Children's Hospital, lovely hospital, um, and then after that I didn't get any funding because when I talked to the actual uh, McKillop Family Services or those other organisations that took care of your funding packages because they had a case manager, it's not called a case manager anymore, it's 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 called a support coordinator for those that don't know what that is. Um, they're the ones that were responsible for my funding packages, but they turned around and said to me that we don't think you need the funding packages because you have both parents that are fairly young and they can still look after you. What they failed to realise is age doesn't stop. They keep getting older and older. So as the years gone by, my mum couldn't take me. To, um, to the park anymore, or my dad couldn't go shopping as much as he used to to help me get the food. Stuff like that, small things. And that's where I fell, I fell into the cracks and I had to start paying for my physio in my pocket and stuff like that because with the um, GP plan, the healthcare plan that you get, the five GP visits, once those runs out, you have to pay for yourself and that was a very costly but I had to do it. Yeah. But what so, mm. with me, I only had the DSP, the, the, the pension. I went through mainstream all through, and I didn't 
I didn't really have the connection with people like-minded myself. So this is all, like, I'm around mostly able-bodied people, which they've all got, you know, uni friends, work colleagues, we've got, you know, and all that kind of stuff, which people in our shoes, we don't really have, because we're just a little bit different. So, I mean, when I left school, I kind of fell through the gap. Mm. I didn't have much in work. And no, I didn't that either. build on that, um, skill set yeah. that you have, yeah. But working at the UK and cafe was good, but that kind of fell through. But the staff were terrible. It, it, it was just, you know, it shouldn't have been how it should But now when the NDIS came, this is my first line of support I'm going to get and to be independent. I just, I just find it amazing that Catherine, who has a living disability, and that's her first level of support for many, many years. It's just amazing. Mm. And I'm sure Catherine's not the only one. No. And you it's probably hear it every day. Yes. So. That is one of the things I've observed with, um, since the introduction of NDIs. A lot of people who didn't receive funding or only got pockets of it, limited funding are now getting quite good packages. And yeah. I find that really encouraging. Yeah. And you hear about that a lot, that yeah. a lot of new people are coming in now with, with funding who shouldn't think anything. Is it, but it, they just didn't make the criteria at that time. Oh, that's why. That's yeah. Why. It wasn't because they didn't know we had a disability. It was because no, we didn't the tick the boxes. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of it is ticking boxes. But, um, and, that, and that will always stay, but it's just, it, they've broadened the scope of people now who can um, receive support, which I think, that's why I really like NDIS. It's, it really gives more people more opportunities. So how will the ANECTO collaborate with the NDIS? So we work um, closely with NDI, NDIA and when we go we always give the um, families the opportunity to have someone represent them or support them in a meeting. So most, and most families will take that opportunity when we say look we're happy to go with you. Not all families but we certainly provide that um, choice for them. Hmm. We and then what's happened because we're going to so many, the planners know what we're doing and they you know trust what we're doing. So we we do fairly well at a lot of the um, planning meetings we go to, we can have some really good conversations with them and, and really support our families fairly strongly. It is a um, fairly challenging exercise, I think, for people who haven't had to go and say, this is what I want. Oh, they were always told what they yeah. wanted before, yeah. whereas this time, you know, well, you'd know when you went, yeah. but not having been through it before, you've got to actually advocate for yourself. Yeah, and, and I everyone needs an advocate. Yeah. Mm. I found that very confronting, uh, because telling someone you don't even know about yes. your personal life is very, very hard, yeah. and it's not easy. Yeah. Um, there are some very embarrassing parts, some very parts you want to talk about, but you have to do it, mm. and I encourage everyone to do it because um, there have been a couple of people who have talked to me and said that I feel embarrassed that I have to put down my son like that and I have to tell him my struggles and that, or my daughter. Mm. And I've turned around and said to them, no, it's not, because at the end of the day, the worse you make it, the better it is for your son or daughter at the end yeah. of the day. And then you'll know from then on that if something were to happen to either parents that they would be well daft. I understand that parents are very protective <coughs> or sometimes feel ashamed because your child's just a little bit different. There is no shame whatsoever. Oh. You've just got to love and accept and educate people that we're just people. There may be just a little bit of challenges within them and, and people like us, but it's okay. And it's always good to talk and try and find the right support that's going to cater for your child and yourself. Yeah, and I remember Catherine meeting with a group of parents one evening and they talked about feeling embarrassed having to ask for extra supports. Yeah. As they said, mm. it's like what you said, they were aging parents and they. They just felt like they were taking more money from the government. It was a really interesting conversation, but it was a big step for the parents to have to say, mm. we're getting old, we can't do all of this by ourselves. 
And what I have noticed happening with NDIs is that a lot of parents who are ageing needs, sons and daughters are getting feeder packages because they talk about it not as respite for the parents, but as this is a support for the person will need. Yeah. And because the parents can't do it, so therefore their son or daughter will need it. And some people are doing, you know, getting quite reasonable packages now, which will make life easier within the home. And it gives a lot of parents the opportunity to go back to being a parent mm. and not a carer. Mm. Which I think is a really, it, it's a change of way of thinking. Yeah. And some carers, they don't feel comfortable with that change of role. Like, I, I've had to talk to some of the carers who are on NDIS and they feel like they don't know what to do with themselves. And, and, thinking, and, I, and I say to them, look, you've got to be able to live your life as well and not just be like a stopgap yeah. And they've had that role since the child was born. Exactly. And so to change that is not easy no, because that's how they define themselves. So yeah. I think this is the big thing about NDIS, it's how do people define themselves and how, mm. you know, what is, and how does the community define the person. So it's a massive change, and I think mm. it's very challenging. It's, um, I mean, it's a fantastic step, but I think it's a very difficult step for a lot of people. Okay, so we've talked about the nuts and bolts, but what are the requirements of um, getting a different sort of like funding program for the NDIS? So you have to be, uh, you have to have a disability, um, and but it's a range of disabilities. So I'll just give you an example. Sure. We've supported people who have had MS, which we didn't support a lot of people with MS before. Obviously, they're getting um, more eligible for packages now. Um, a lot of people with mental health problems. So it's a range of disabilities. So they'll have multiple disabilities, mm. which is, um, I think those people kind of fell into that box or that box or that box. So it's mm. now, it's just in NDIS, so they're getting quite a good package. But you just have to show that you've got um, a disability and you need. So I think the the issue is not showing that you have a disability, the issue is getting the enough evidence to yes, prove that you yes, have the disability. Yes. Uh, because I, to get my sort of like funding packages, I had to go to my hospital and my doctor yes. to prove it. It wasn't enough that I ripped down my own words and my own experience, I had to get proof from professionals. So yeah, that I was very agree difficult. That. that was very difficult. So when we do pre-planning, we do ask people to bring in medical um, documentation from a range of medical people or other people, special schools, etc., to say, this is, you know, I do have a disability, mm. you're right, yeah. Mm. So they do, they do have those requirements, mm. yeah. What supports will be funded by NDIS? From my observation, so we've been now about two, two and a half years working with it, um, there's support coordination, which is for people who need someone to um, coordinate the yes. supports. But the co it's what's called core supports mm. and then therapy supports. There's a lot in um, therapy support. So now psychologists, all therapists I'm are very funded. happy with that. I'm very happy with that. Yeah, I think that's fantastic because that was a very costly mm. exercise for a very lot of people. Costly. And people are getting um, mm. quite well funded for that. But it's just a range of... Um, home supports, personal care supports, community access supports, mm. holidays, they like to see everyone having a holiday. Oh, definitely. I'd love to they, go on holiday. Yeah, I know. Yeah. One of the things I think that's really good is they're really willing to support people who want to get into employment. Mm. Pick up, that's still, or the take up is still fairly slow, but, um, and I think that's for a variety of reasons and that um, a lot of people don't see themselves as being able to get a job because of their past experiences. Yeah. But that, there is certainly funding for people who wish to do that and sort of learning too. What I like about it, Joan, um, from my experiences with the NDIS getting a job is that when you do get on the system, they can't sort of take you back when the funding pool for your particular job is finished. It's a requirement by the government to try to keep you on to the sort of job, which is fantastic, yeah, which is what we want. Yeah, that, so that's, really good. that's one of the major positives the NDIS has brought to people with disabilities. I think the other thing they're funding too a lot is um, assistive technology. Yes. So they're really looking at what's out there yeah. and that can make this look easier for a person. And I think that's a wonderful opportunity for everyone to be looking at because the tech, as we know, technology is just improving every day and it's incredible. Life-changing stuff. It is life-changing stuff, yeah. that's yeah. right. And I think it's really important we're aware of what's out there so we can tap into that. Yeah. 
how does NECTO help and support people with disability? What are the services currently provided by NECTO in relation to NKS? So we, um, as I said earlier, we do pre-planning for all of our families. So we've done, given a lot of information sessions initially. Mm -hmm. And then we went from that into, and they were always group information sessions. Then we went into group pre-planning sessions so that parents could share ideas. Then we did individual pre-planning sessions. That would have been a lot of work. Yeah, it's been an enormous amount of work, yeah. but I think it was great learning for us. We've kind of learned what we need to be doing, and NDIS is an ongoing learning. But we have seen the absolute importance of doing pre-planning properly. I think that's the, uh, probably the most important thing. We're now suggesting people go to more public um, information sessions because there's still some of those around. The councils are around a lot of information. A lot, yeah. a lot. My local area yeah. runs probably, you know, two at least two or three a month. Mm. Yeah, so. I think that's fantastic yeah. to see the council, because then you get a good, wide group of people coming, so you can listen to other people. One of the things we learned from our information sessions and our group pre-planning sessions was the sharing of ideas. And people said, I didn't know you could do that, it's a great idea. And it was really like a light bulb going on for people and giving them permission to think differently. So, because often you just think that same way, because yeah. this really gave these um, sessions gave people the opportunity to people to think really differently. Well, unfortunately, because the way the system has been designed, we've only had to think one way. Yes. And now with the nurse coming through, we can think other ways, yeah. other possibilities. Yeah. So when I was talking to my coordinator, and she was reading it, and she was saying, well, you could do this, or you could do that. And I didn't think at the time, because I'm like, oh, okay. So if I added an extra hour here, I could get more gym time over here. That because my pre-planning, yeah. and that's the options that they can give you. I think it's invaluable. That's our probably one of our biggest learnings is the importance of that pre-planning. Because if you have a number of conversations, it's really good for the the organisation because it makes you think. Oh, we need to be thinking differently. Mm. It gives the family the opportunity to think differently, and it also gives the opportunity for the their son or daughter or family member a challenge because it's in a safe setting and say, you could do that but I'd really rather do this. Exactly. And of course it's an open conversation. You see people's... Debating. Yes, yeah. debating and yeah. really changing the way they're thinking and yeah. they're planning things. Yeah. Will the NDIS funding affect my pension? No, no, you still get your pension. Yeah, yeah you still get that. What it does affect is your mobility allowance, but that goes into your NDIS plan. Yeah. So there's set amounts which I think you've had an experience. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. So with my, um, my, with my mobility allowance, unfortunately, I haven't been able to get onto the system for whatever reason. But like you've, you've said, Joan, that when the NDIS comes through, uh, they, that will be cut off because that will be all your like transport sort of like funding will go into your NDIS funding. And that will be an ongoing payment into your other NDIS account. And I strongly recommend for those people who are watching this, is if they are on the NDIS, is to have a separate account so that way they don't overuse their disability support payments mm -hmm. from the NDIS. There's nothing worse than mixing up your shopping payment with your NDIS payment. So make sure you have two separate accounts. That's an absolute must. And make sure you include transport in it, that you do exactly. ask for it, because exactly. everyone needs to travel around, so make sure you do include yeah. it. So will an actor help me to assist in all requirements for NDIS funding? Uh, so we, well, as I said, we, we really do, right from the start to the end. So we offer the pre-planning, we offer support coordination and core supports. Um, so it is, you know, right through. And we're really, our learnings from this is that um, as they get used to it, people want to change things, and so we're happy to work with the person and say, oh, all right, let's change the way, this direction, and go down that direction. Um, if the plan is not sufficient or the person's not happy with it, we'll support the person to for asking for a review of the plan, and we do, you know, there's the eight-week and then the nine-month review. We really consult closely with that to make sure that's working really well. Mm -hmm. And so we, we're not going to advocate, but we do support the person. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
and you will always pinpoint mm, maybe there's a particular area that you should work on. Yes. If yeah. there's like a big mistake that they've done. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. The other um, thing is often people's disabilities, you know, as they age, they deteriorate. And so it's really looking for that. And so we would be putting that into a plan to mm, say, absolutely. you know, so just because you've got, say, X amount for the year one, if it's a degenerative disease, you need to be planning for that. And it's being aware of those. And that's why it, it's a yearly review. It's not a locked in plan. So you can change it year after year based on your disability needs. Mm. And that's something a lot of people don't understand. And I understand that this is not a locked in contract. That's it's right. a yes. freedom to choose between year after year. Yeah, which is really good. Yeah. So you stay in control exactly. of your plan. Mm. Is there a certain amount of funding per family or? No, no, that's not our um, observation at all, that every person's got a different a different amount. So it, it depends on what they take to the planning session. So it's been interesting. I mean, we've got some people we're supporting who receive two-to-one funding and others receive, you know, group funding. So it's, you know, quite a range. And some parents, as you say, you know, they wanted your parents to um, manage it well, with a lot of parents who are older and they can't, it's exactly. too difficult. Mm. So they take each person fairly individually, which I think, the only set amount seems to be the transport. There's I think three amounts for transport. But um, everything else is really based on the individual. Uh, do you want it to add fees on top of the services that they provide? So we run, uh, we try and build all those extras into the into the plan. So we run a learning and lifestyle program which is run every day. Um, most of the people, we've asked for transport, so that covers their bus transport, so we're not having to build them over and above, which we used to. And program fees, some people will be asked to pay extra program fees if they're doing a lot more, but a lot of it will come out of what they're asking for. So, um, you know, we try and do everything within, the, within, the, within their plan. Do you guys see yourselves in five years' time to be like a support coordinator or a support uh, manager? Or that's a really interesting question. Where would it go? And I think this is a challenge for all organisations. We're aware that under support coordination, People may not keep the support coordination ongoing, it will, it will decrease over a period of time. So I think organisations are looking at what it, how to remain sustainable. There's um, a lot of conversations going on between peak organisations and um, NDIA around the rate for, um, that agencies get reimbursed. And I have to say, I think NDIA has been very responsive. I, I think they're really working well with agencies, but it's a big, big machine, and so it, it moves slowly, yeah. but I really do see NDIA as really listening and trying to make this work. So it's in their interest that agencies survive, and I think, so where it will go, we're not 100% sure. Um, I think Necto will become, uh, will have an arm that provides a lot of information to people around NDIA and how to navigate their way through NDIA. I think that's really important because there'll be a new, new people coming up all the time. I think um, we're closely watching just the costings for ND for um, support coordination and core. We play a fairly active role in uh, with the peak body NDS um, and how you know how much money is required to make an organisation run. And we're constantly reviewing our practices and processes to see. Does this suit NDIA? Are we true to the vision of NDIA, NDIA and NDIS in what we're doing and how do we remain, remain sustainable? So just to summarise for you guys and what the NDIS is and some key points that were talked about in this podcast is number one, you need to pre-plan your plan. You need to make sure that you understand what the NDIS is as well. And you need to understand what sort of core supports that would help my funding in terms of what I need. For example, with my disability, I need funding in my core supports and my physical transport movement type of supports. But they will be included in the booklet that you get with your NDS. Number two is to make sure that you have 
specific people that know your condition and they can write down the worst possible case scenarios so that you get the best funding available. Yes, it's harsh, but it's the only way to go. And number three is to talk to your parents, talk to group advisors, talk to people who know about the NDS and maybe they can help give you ideas on how to improve your plan. And number, number four would be try to enjoy it because it is a new chapter in your life and you need to move on with the times and you need to sort of like understand that this is not a punishment, this is a benefit for you. So this is Storm Robbins signing off and I'd like to thank Joan for coming on. And Catherine as well. And the co-host, Catherine. Bye bye everyone. Speakers Bank Podcast. Our voices, our views. Hello and welcome back to the Speakers Bank Podcast. And joining me today is the Western Region Manager, Joan. Hey, how are you going today? Good, thank you. And how was your Easter? It was lovely. We went away and it was a lovely Easter. And as usual, my co-host, Catherine, how was your Easter? It was fantastic. That's great. Well, today we're going to be talking about the anecto side of things for people with disabilities. So, Joan, uh, first question for you. We understand you are the Western uh, Region Manager at Anecto. What does your role entail? Okay, so it's a metropolitan, Western metropolitan area that I'm manager of. So it's looking after all the supports and services that we provide in the West. So that we have the office at Yarraville and we have the office here at um, Clarabee. And the Western region, as you know, is growing. So for me, part of my role is making sure we grow with the region growing. So it's having the right supports for the people in the areas that we're all extending. What's sort of like the biggest issues at the moment for for that region in particular? Um, I think for, um, well, one of them is Everyone's transferring to NDIS in the West, in the Western Metropolitan Region, so that's a big change for a lot of people, especially people who've been in the sector for a long time, you know, families have been with DHHS, that's what they know, and all of a sudden they have to change. In terms of aged care, it's um, the requests for services are massive, and there's a very long waiting list, so that's a big issue for people in the West. Do you think that the over, like, services is it's really sort of like, it's like um, hampering on to the NDIS and that's got quite an overflow of sort of like services for that particular thing? Um, look, I think it's an interesting question. NDIS is certainly changing the way things are happening. It's really a totally different way of operating. And I think for some people, they'll get more supports, and which is what they're needing. I think some people, unfortunately, mightn't get everything they're wanting and that's because maybe they're not prepared when they go into the plan or it's not understood by the remainder. So there's some real concerns for me around health affecting supports. Yes, and one of the things I want to tell the viewers who are watching this is it's not your disability in general, it's how you word it. So my advice to you is to get the best local area coordinator that can write it for you the best way they can write it. So that's the best way to get your maximum funding that you deserve. Because if you write it all happy chappy, you won't get what you deserve, and that's not something that you want. And Ecto David House seems to be one of the important services at Ecto. Please share a little bit of history. Oh, I think it's a wonderful history, the history of um, David House at Yarraville. So um, it's come together over a number of years. It's a combination of different agencies that have come together, small agencies that 
uh, couldn't survive on their own. Mm -hmm. But the very beginning of it, as you know, David House, that site was a special school for yes. children with dis disabilities. Yes, I was then, one of them. You went around then? I was. <laughs> but there were parents who said, I don't want my children to go to an institution because there were still a few cottages, mm -hmm. somewhere, etc. And so the parents came together and said, We want our children to do something other than go to the institution. So they joined what was called the Healthy Hand Association yeah. and people went in there. And over the years programs have changed. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of workshop type activities operating. Yeah. Right up to about ten years ago, there was actually a wooden workshop on the site. Yeah. But now it's more out in the community. So it's really our I see our role is really working with the community to assist because our mission is to see an inclusive community. So that's what we try and do at David House now. And that's really staying true to what those original families wanted, was that their children not to be locked away in an institution, but to be part of the community. So it's always very inspiring being there. And you hmm. talk to any of the parents, and you, it really centers you and says, this is what I'm here for. Yeah. Can you share with us like a story that, that you've been involved yeah. with David House that really touched your heart? Well, I, there's, uh, there's a number of them, but there was a gentleman who is still alive and he was in Sunbury um, Institution yep. for 35 years. His mum wasn't well mm. and um, he was picked up and taken up to Sunbury. Lived there for 35 years and hated every minute of it. Had a sister and had minimal contact with her, mm. minimal contact with his mum. Then when... Um, David House got together and they had support coordinators, etc. There was a lot of work done to close down those institutions and, and Necto then became involved with this particular gentleman. Mm. And he's lived on his own right up till very recently. He had his own flat in Seddon and wow. you know he lived in that Sunbury Cottages for 35 years yes. and then was able to move out and live very independently, which That's was really fantastic. Yeah. Unfortunately, he got early, um, he got dementia, mm. it was really early onset because I guess he was late 70s, um, and he chose then where to move to. He wasn't, we weren't too sure what he wanted and he walked into an SRS one day, a really good one in Footscray, and said, this is where I want to live. So he's had control of his life ever mm. since he left somebody which is fantastic and there's still people at um, David House who went, were children at you know at the school when it was a school mm. and they're still at David House but very much part of their own community yeah. and the parents still get together many of the older parents and they are a leading light for mm. all of us and especially for our CEO Estelle Fife she really listens to those parents and I think they, they lead her every day. Yeah, it's, mm. it's good because I had an experience at Yorala and it just didn't go too well. Like, everybody's needs were all individual. So our, our level is different. Like, I can, you know, there's so many people that are independent. But at Yorala, we were getting trained like kids. Mm. And I think that happened you know, up to fairly recently, but I, I think the um, disability acts over the last years have been really guiding, leading the way in the way they've operated. And the most recent disability act talked about being out in the community, and we were really services were made accountable for supporting that. And you'll see that in the services and the supports we provide. Yeah. Now, hopefully, in that the um, the day service, the learning and lifestyle program. It's called Learning and Lifestyle because I'm really committed to ongoing learning for people, so we have accredited learning programs. Yeah. And um, it is out in the community, so we do a lot of work with the community. Yeah. And which I and I think all agencies are closing, but it's fairly recent. It's not a new, you know, it's not been there for a long, long time. It is fairly yeah. recent, the change. And I, like, and I can see, like, when I go to David House, I mean, every now and then, I see how the participants absolutely love it. Because it's like with the staff and their participants, they're like being treated equal. Like they treat you how you want to be and you treat them how, you know, and everybody's happy. I think that's a really important part of um, supporting people. Yeah. People have to be seen as equals, you know, exactly. they, but everyone has something to offer. Yeah. And they talk a lot about diversity and all, yeah. you know, across the board these days. And I think that includes disability as well. Mm -hmm. And it is recognising the strengths 
of everyone. Mm. And I think that we're very fortunate we've got some brilliant staff at um, Interday Service in the Learning Lifestyle Program, but also in the Community Options Program. And they really um, listen to the people they support. Mm. We have client council that meets with me every month yeah. and they give me feedback. Yeah. I put that in my monthly reports up to the board and the CEO. Yeah. It's really important that everyone feels that everyone has a, a part to play. Yeah. And I think Anecdo's vision is around interdependence. Yeah. You know, their principles, um, purpose and principles, it is around that um, interdependence that we all have to work together. Yeah. And we have to be authentic in doing it. So Joan, you just touched on some of the programs that David House provides. Uh, could you go into that a bit more in detail? Yeah, so in the, um, I'll, I'll start with the Learning and Lifestyle Program, the day service, where there's about 126 people that attend. So um, they come and go each day. When I can walk through that site where you said you visited and not see anyone some days because they're all out in the community. Um, a, a number of the people we support are on one-to-one -one supports and they were not in the community earlier on, but now we've got such good staff that they've worked so well with the people that they're able to go out and the people feel confident being in the community. So that's just sometimes just walking around, going to parks, it's a variety of things. Other things we do is go to swimming pools and we're in the league bowling competition, we play in a basketball competition, Ooh, we go geez. to the Jamie Oliver cooking classes. Oh, um, yeah, we go sailing. So we try and give people choices. Mm -hmm. Because when we talk about informed choice, I don't think it's always informed for people's disability, it's just what they know. So we try and really extend people and say, try this. Mm. And if you don't like it, that's fine, but at least it's an informed decision then. So we really have a large variety of programs and activities yeah. where people can say, that's what I like. I don't like that so much, but I really like this program. Is there a particular program that you always remember that you like? Yeah, I, I love Jamie this program. Oliver, Jamie Oliver was pretty good. I went down there one day, it was pretty good. I think sailing is a fantastic program. I really like that. There's a fishing program. Uh, then there's the accredited learning. I do like the accredited learning programs. I think they're, you know, that is something that um, a person can hang up their certificate on the wall next to their brothers and sisters. Yes, yeah, so I know. And I know so the feeling of that because we did something very similar to that. Mm -hmm. uh, we had to do a course where uh, we would have to try to teach a class on our disability, and the speakers back at Anecdo gave us the opportunity to do that. Now Catherine and I are. Um, like qualified to do that, so we're very thankful. Mm. Uh, I think it's really important to do that and to say I can achieve just like my brothers and sisters and my mum and dad. Because everyone who gets a certificate, you know, they hang mm. them up on the wall. Exactly. In the, in the hallway or in the bedroom and I think it's really important everyone has that opportunity. Who are the other <coughs> stakeholders at Electo David House? So to make it work in the community, we need a large range of partners. Mm -hmm. So um, we have partnerships with the universities, um, we have partnerships with um, registered training organisations. Uh, Deakin University is a really close partner. Um, we have a wonderful partnership with RMIT, they're doing training with all our staff. Mm -hmm. Um, we also partner really well with a lot of community organisations. So a lot of the sporting centres, we're really close partners with them. Uh, there's a, it's a wide range of partners. You know, we consider that as essential to be able to meet our vision, which is to realise an inclusive community. A lot of the shops, which sound, it doesn't sound really important, but we have really good relationships with a lot of the local shops, so the guys we support can go in and I'll often go coffee with some and they go up and, and chat away. Because mm. normally, often when you're a person with a disability goes into the shop and will talk to the worker. Yep. Whereas I go in and they forget about me, they just talk to the person you know, that yeah. I go with. And it's, it's really good. And then you notice members of the community watching that. So there's a very wide range of yeah, and it just goes to show that stakeholders are just as much as important as the actual people working behind the scenes. We have a real commitment to um, the universities and the registered training organisations. I think I have a responsibility to make sure that the next lot of workers come out really know what they're doing and come out being able to advocate for the people they're going to be working with. So we put a lot of time into taking students. Mm -hmm. 
we have a lot of students is there a from a variety of courses. Is there a particular process that you use to...? Uh, well, I have partnerships. So I have the OT students from Deakin, and that's a wonderful relationship, and some of them have been employed. We um, sit with some of the psychology students from Deakin, and I have been put into the board, the um, advisory board there, um, the same with a number of the RTOs and TAFEs. So it is around um, having a variety of students come in so that it, you know an OT goes out knowing who they're going to be writing a report for. Yeah. A speech therapist knows who they're going to write a report mm -hmm. for. Because it's no good going off and writing a report if you don't know the setting. Absolutely. So I think it, that is a real obligation of ours to so provide that information. So at David House, you get speech therapists for some clients. We are working on the speech therapy. The main ones at the moment are OTs and psychologists and then the dual diploma people um, from community development, community welfare, etc. Um, speech therapists will come in and do a visit, but at the moment they're not doing placements because I don't have a speech therapist on placement, but they do come in and visit. So you also provide a lot of management for Speakers Bank. Could you offer us some insights around the early beginnings of Speakers Bank? Yeah, I think Speakers Bank is what Anecdo's about. I think it's around an inclusive community. Mm -hmm. So many, many years ago, there was a lady called Helen Adams who ran what was called Western Region Disability Network. And oh, it would be 12, 13 years ago, and she started off Speakers Bank. And it had a few stops and starts. And then, uh, so Helen took it to a certain stage, then she left and Hermantru Singh came in and he really moved ahead with Speakers Bank. And then Mimi came in too and, and um, has taken it even further. I think the reason I'm so in favour of the work done by members of Speakers Bank is that it's people, it's like a self-advocacy, but also yes. a systemic yes. advocacy. I think it's really powerful when the person who is doing the advocacy actually can say, speak from a personal viewpoint, because your story is much more powerful. Yes. And I, so I think the impact is much, much greater. And I have a vision that in the future, it will become even more powerful than it already is. Yes, because I think society is slowly recognising people with disabilities a lot more with the NDIS coming through, yes. with all the you know, government policies that are put mm -hmm. in place. Yeah. And all the um, other stuff. It's been quite a um, political point, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been quite a political point. 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 It's becoming more of a, a election type issue yes. now, which mm. is fantastic. It's yeah, I saw the ad. I, saw, I didn't really understand it, but it was to do with Scott Morris, the Prime Minister, that something to do with disability. He um, wants to stop this, so they're saying, no, if you're going to do this, then you've got to go. Are you talking about how people with disabilities are being treated at a um, particular like housing sort of uh, that Royal Commission? Oh, yes. that See, that's the other thing. That's that's the other thing. Yes. There has been, um, Catherine, a few conversations about disability and Scott Morrison's become involved in. One was that a lady didn't move house, uh, she had a disability and the house was modified and some member um, of parliament mm. said, oh, she should have moved regents. And without understanding what the, what the whole issue was about, and Scott Morrison said, no, he stood up for the lady. But I think it's just the fact that it's there, and with the uh, Royal Commission too, yes. it is really good. I think it's also linked to the whole movement of um, looking at diversity. Mm. It's not just disability, it's about anyone who is not a main, mainstream person. Yeah. And I, I think all together, it's a very powerful movement. Before it was a very small movement, now yeah. I think it's quite a large yeah, movement. Yeah, it's a very large movement. Yeah, and I think that's what we concentrate on and say, hang on, this isn't just about me, it's about everyone who isn't accepted in the mainstream community. It's a good time, I think. Yeah. What sort of changes or growth 
have you seen happening at David House for Speakers Bank? Oh, Speakers Bank's really growing. I think um, the thought that we're looking at social enterprise and micro-businesses um, is really a big step forward. It is. So meeting with step. everyone I know, is, it's really quite exciting, it I think. It is exciting, too. Um, and I think it is the fact that we're running small um, businesses and giving people the opportunity to work more. Mm. And David House has been fantastic. It's also around, um, so we had a program where people were given the opportunity to live in their own house. Some have bought houses, but they're just living in private rental. So it's a different way of supporting a person now. I think the attitude has changed that you don't have to be. It's not led by the service provision provider. It's led now by the person with the disability. And I think that's a big change. I think there's still a long way to go on it, but it's really, I can feel the momentum. Yeah, I think uh, it is moving. Yeah, I think the NDIS has become like a bit of a driver for that sort of independence. Yes. And sort of like, we will help you fund your support, but then it's up to you to do it yourself as well. So it's, yes. it's 50. Mm. Which has created some uh, challenges for service providers and for everyone. Because, it, I mean, I think most people with disability are used to the service doing all the coordination. Whereas NDIs are saying, no, we'll give you the support workers, but you're able to decide yourself. And I think that's a massive step forward, because that's a change of yeah. thinking. And I think, it's a, I think it's a massive change for people with special needs, too, because they need to learn that independence is very, very important. Because mm -hmm. there's some around the community that just think that, I can't do this, or I don't want to do this, but you can do this. You just need education and learning yes. on how to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think NDIS is, is paving the way for that sort of yeah. stuff. So I think it's a great way. It's a change for both service provider but also the person receiving support, isn't it? Yes. We're both having to take this journey together. Mm. And, and work together. And work together, mm. yeah. I think it's, um, it's a fantastic journey. So what do you see David House moving into the future? Well, I think um, I often ponder that at night on my sleepless nights. I think, where will it go? I, at the moment, you know, still we have the buses coming in. Um, I think in the future that more people will be out in the community and not coming into the centre, and I think um, be a much smaller number coming into the community for special purposes, and then the other days they'll be out in the community. I think some of this will involve working with families really closely too, and seeing how do we get, you know, instead of maybe the bus always coming, how can you get to the local community centre or to the swimming pool? So are there, you know, can the family drive? Are there other ways of getting the person there? I think there'll be a total change. So creating more independence again. Yes, I think so, yeah. yeah. I, I've, but I um, think it will be a journey that has many humps in the road yeah. and lots of roundabouts, but I think it will get there yeah. uh, because I've seen so many changes over the years. I can definitely say, um, from the outside that David has could be like sort of like an advisor to people who need NDIS and what they need to do to get it. Yes. Like there could be local coordinators mm -hmm. in that yep. area that could help these people mm -hmm. at David House to get more NDIS funding and stuff like that. Or even do programs or educational sort of like sessions of how to understand what the NDIS is. Yes, I totally agree. And I think that is part of the vision for the, from the organisation for the um, senior people in the organisation for that to happen there. So it is a resource, uh, but just a different type of programs to what's happening now. And I, you know, I have seen the change over the years, and I think they're getting getting there, but it's the next step. Yeah. The next hump is probably a big hump. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it's the most a, scariest hump too. It can be for some yeah. people, yeah, yeah, that's right. I think a range of people that can be, you know, quite scary, yeah. Exciting though. How relevant would you consider speakers being in the disability space in the future? Oh, I'm quite passionate about this. I think, I see Speakers Bank having a massive role. I see Speakers Bank as becoming a leader of debates mm -hmm. that um, I would like to see Speakers Bank pick up on a lot of the issues that are around, you know, from the Royal Commission, from general conversations and lead some of those conversations. I would love that to happen, either through blogs or podcasts or whatever, but I see Speakers Bank has an absolutely critical role in the change yeah. of things happening. So it's um, how we actually get there is 
what many will be working with all yes, of you to do. But I see it's really, it's the best time for Speakers Bank to be around. It really is, because there's, I feel like there's this massive chain of movement coming through. Mm -hmm. it's, it's been small, but it's gradually rising and rising. Yeah, yeah. And now's the time to strike while the art is hot. Mm -hmm. And I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But also agree that the Speakers Bank could be more than just um, like a volunteer, it could be helping people with special needs go out into their own communities and mm -hmm. to get their own work at the same time. Um, be volunteer advocacy, advocacy mm -hmm. workers at the mm -hmm. same time. So mm -hmm. they can do two roles. Yeah, it's and that's it. See, I think there'll be leaders like you who will really be taking it on. Mm -hmm. I have a vision for where we can go, but then I think you guys have an a fantastic vision of where it can go and yeah. how to get there. But I do see you as becoming leaders in the disability sector in Victoria and just leading debates mm. and taking control of something. And knowing how to talk about it as well. Because if you, for an example, if I went to someone I don't know, never met, mm. they're very kind, very friendly, and I said, oh, I, I, I struggle with this because and or whatever, never. No, that's not how it works. Um, I said, oh, I've got a learning disability. And they might say, oh, you don't look like you've got a disability. And I'm like, well, you, you don't see it. Mm. And it's like, you don't know how you talk about it. Yeah, and that's also because they're not educated in, on how to talk about it. I think that's right, yeah. And Speakers Bank does provide that opportunity to get that education that they yeah. need uh, I was talking to a couple of able-bodied people today and they said that you've changed my ways of disability. Like, we don't realise how fortunate we are as able-bodied people to have more opportunity and yet we are sometimes lazy and we take it for granted. Yeah. But seeing you do that presentation the other day made me realise that I need to take the opportunities more, more often because I could end up having a disability and I will regret not taking those opportunities when I was able-bodied but I had the chance to. Wow. That's, that's a very powerful message. Because I've been good, like, I have a mild learning disability, so I struggle with answering questions or whatever, and people in my shoes, it's always good. Um, and I, I just tell them, you just need to read out the questions for me so I can understand them because my brain isn't processing it properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So but interestingly, I think everyone has their own issues. Exactly. <coughs> and no one talks about our issues. No. No, it's always hidden. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's people to learn. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. But I think it's, um, it is the time. It's, you know, because it's all about diversity all the conversations. Mm -hmm. So I think this is the time to really, for Speakers Bank to really blossom and mm -hmm. just grow and just take take a leadership role. Well, speaking of growing and blossoming, <coughs> is there any other additional messages you'd like to share to our viewers about the disability space? Um, I think um, advocacy is still really important. I think um, we always need advocacy. I think it requires um, braveness on the part of organisations, mm, but also sure. on the part of families and, men, and for people with disabilities. And, and so for that to happen, we all have to come together and work closely together. So it's bringing all parts of the community together, I think. That's where I, how I feel it will happen. Because if we still have little pockets, it's just that much more difficult. But I think the, the climate's right for it at the moment. So I think it's a good time to be here. And as we were saying earlier, the debates are there in this current election. It's going to activate it. Yeah, mm. yeah and take advantage of it. Mm. Just take advantage of those debates that are going on and really run with them and let them speak publicly about it. What's really pleasing me is that people with disabilities are speaking about their problems. They are talking about what's happening in their lives yes. rather than letting others talk about it, you know what I mean? I think that's a good point. You see that in football, in sport at the moment, with people talking about some of their mental health issues. Mm. So people are speaking about it and I think it's just more and more. Yes. It's, it's leaders coming up. That's and, right taking that spot and saying this is it, this, you know, I can talk about this. Well, with that, um, I'd like to finish our podcast. Thank you, Joan, for joining. And as always, Catherine, thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good day, everybody. Bye. Bye.